0: Westside, how are you today? You all good? It's great to be with you here. And um, thank you for that golf clap up there. Yeah, I want to say greetings to all of you experiencing this online or the Speedway campus. My name's Andy. I'm just totally pumped to be with you. We are in our sixth and final installment of the A2 Revolution. We're, we've been going into the fifth book of the New Testament. It's called the Book of Acts. It's really how this whole thing kind of got started and, and went down. And you might be familiar with this kind of map, because this is kind of tracing the, the chronological and geographical migrations of the revolution from 2,000 years ago, where Paul and Barnabas and Silas and all those cats, they began to form together in these little bands of communities and go around from town to town, village to village, cross and jump over uh, seas over to new continents. And this is how you and I are here today today by the revolution that began 2,000 years ago. And what I love, what I love West Side, is your leadership, Randy, Dan, and all, all those guys, they got together and they said, we know this is in our hearts. We want what happened then to happen now in our city and beyond And they could have sat back and they could have found a thousand different reasons to say, not the right time. Man, things, everything's so volatile, everything's so, you know, unpredictable. We don't even know who's watching, who's coming. This is not the time to do our most important initiative. You've heard Randy say, there's no plan B to this thing, right? We want to form little micro kind of band units of people that come together, whether by neighborhood or by network, where they live, study, work, and play. And we want to see this happen. And they could have said, let's push that off, but they didn't. Because, because actually, at times when the church can feel most vulnerable by way of the Holy Spirit, we actually are the most powerful. And the strategy of forming together and decentralized uh, movements are actually most poignantly um, effective in times just like this. And then a deep sense of just going, you know what, we believe our people are ready for this. So I just want to say, way to go. Way to go West Side! for having this in your hearts, for moving forward in it because as I've been a part of this conversation, as I've been, I had the opportunity to speak earlier in it, been tracking along with it. I'm a part of a, of a small group, A2 community, we call it the buoy, I talked about that a few weeks ago. I just, it's energizing, there's a rightness to this, to say we're gonna take this hill. The scriptures say that when there is no vision, the people are unrestrained and isn't that kind of just a, a choice word for what it feels like in our culture and our society right now, And unrestraint? There's a lot of opinions out there, there's a lot of agenda out there, but when someone comes from a biblical core vision and says, here's where we're going, there's a rightness to that, isn't there? There's a like, yes, and, and I realized when I, when I heard Randy cast the first message here, there, there was something that just connected with me, like, yes, this is what we need. We need purpose. We need vision. Show us the hill, and we'll take it, and I absolutely love that Westside, this is where you're going, but I want to ask this question. Like, how is it sitting with you? How are you doing with it all right now? I mean, you come in or you, you, you tune in online and, and, and now for six weeks we talk about this and we trace from here to there and we look at a map here and, and if we're not careful and, and if we're somewhat kind of coming in from this distant perspective, we look at these words like phrygia and pisidian it's like a new form of Christian cuss words or something, right? Phrygia! You just practice that or don't. But my question is, like how if we say we believe that that what happened then could happen now how's that landing with you and do you see yourself in it do you see yourself in it and I kind of asked from this perspective I've been a lead pastor for 15 years been on a church staff for 20 all this stuff I I lived I breathed I ate I slept I consumed this stuff from the inside And now I'm no longer on a church staff. I no longer lead a church. I started a business one month before COVID. I have three teenage daughters now. And I'm sitting around going, how the heck did the Chiefs lose to Las Vegas last week? That's what's (laughs) occupying my mind, right? And then I come to church or even come on stage and teach at a church. And yet it's just for this little kind of installation of time. And I'm wondering what's occupying your mind when you sit down or when you tune in. And it begs maybe the question of how we think about who we are. So I'm gonna draw some really bad pictures for you because here's like, you know the church, right? And, and then there's this kind of like partition. Then there's the rest of our lives. There's where we work right? And then there's our home or our household, and then there's, you know, our our hobbies. For me, that's that's wiffle ball. You can find your own hobby. That's okay. You don't have to like wiffle ball. And and then there's the school situation that's going on, and then I coach my daughter's uh, uh, soccer, and we just had our first loss yesterday, and I'm really bummed about that. And there's all those sorts of things. There's, you know, i got to make the trip to Costco and got to get to Quick Trip, and i got to do this, and i got to do that. So I live in this kind of migration pattern all the things that are going on with work, and I come home, then I go over there and we figure out the school thing and I go over and I coach soccer practice and I get bummed that we lost and oh my gosh I'm low on gas and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm playing with a ball and not getting one hit yesterday but anyways and I I go on with my life and then I go to church for one hour and we talk about revolution and you're like I got enough swirl going on right here thank you right we have to think differently about church. We have to think differently about our lives. If this is to happen and we believe that it can, this is gonna have to be erased. And we have to understand that we are the church. That you and I, where we live, work, study, and play, this is the church. Yes, we come and we gather, right? We, we serve and we give and we do all those things. But when I'm here doing this, this is you. This is me at the church. When I'm in here, this is you in the church. This whole migration pattern, this is us being the church wherever we are. This is the new map. Where we find ourselves, where we see ourselves. And what needs to happen is we have to move from going, uh, that's their story, That's not my story. I think that's the temptation. We go, if the revolution's gonna happen, it's gonna be the professionals that get it done, the super caped Christians. And then there's the amateurs and everyone else. Something has to shift from that's their story to now it's my story, it's my story. And that's why I love you. you have this, you know, super sweet west side rubber bling going on on, on, on your wrists. That's what, that's what we're going after here. In fact, let's, let's shout this out together. I know we've been working on this. I'm new to this, so help me with this. It starts with the little people here, and we are God's family, right? And the mission is loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus. The strategy is to raise up What? Christ-centered families in our city and beyond by wrapping God's family around your family. That's what we're getting at right here. You and I, we are the church. We have to shift from going, that's their story 2,000 years ago, can't see it happening to God right now, where I live, work, study, and play. Where do I find myself in your story? Here's what I want to look at. I wanna look at four shifts where four different people shift from their story to all of a sudden going, it's my story. I think we'll find ourselves in it. It's found in Acts chapter 16. You can grab your app, the Westside app. You can however you wanna take notes. If you've got an old school paper, paper Bible, grab that. Grab your phones, whatever. And let's turn to Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse six. Here's the first shift. It's a subtle one. Let's see if you catch it. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, this is crazy, kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mesia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. They were trying to do a good thing. So they passed by Mesia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What's the shift? You might say there's a few going on. Here's the one that caught me. It's very nuanced. Verse seven, and the change, the shift, to verse 10. What do you see? Verse seven, when they came to the border of Mesia, they tried to enter Bithynia, etc. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave. What's the shift? From they to we. That's cool. This is the first time in 15 plus chapters that Luke, who's the author of Acts, uses we and us language. Up until then, he's just a chronicler, he's just an observer, he's a documentary, he's preparing it for Netflix, right? He's just standing back, he's an observer, and now he has shifted to an owner. From observation to ownership, that's the first shift. And it is central, you guys, that every single one of us are saying, we own this, where we are, where we live, who we are, where we study, where we work, We are the church, this can't be the 80-20 rule, where 20% do all the work, the other 80% just clap. This can't be there's 11 folks on the field and all of us, the rest of us are spectators. There will be no revolution unless every single one of us say this is for us, by us, with us, God-inspired, breathe through every single one of us. Ownership is key. Observation can actually be dangerous. When you're in observe mode, you stand back, arms length distance, give the Heisman. You get critical, cynical, skeptical, somewhat judgmental, right? As one who's led a church for 15 years, nothing would draw my ire more than when somebody would come up to me and say, you know what you guys should do? (laughs) Versus, hey, I wonder if we have maybe a challenge here or there's a gap for us here and I have a thought about how we, do you know? see the difference there? You guys to we makes all the difference in the world. Business leaders, you know this to be true. When you hire a new employee, your onboarding process, it's gotta be more than just let's give them their laptop and their email access and keys to the building, right? What's the most important thing you can do when you're onboarding? that their story, your story becomes their story, right? That they get your vision, they get your history, they get your values, they're carrying it deep in your DNA. If they're just going, man, that's the story of the company, but it's not my story, that's not gonna work. That's essential, it's true in marriage too, by the way. When you get married, and you marry your spouse, their story becomes your story, your story becomes their story. If it ever becomes anything different, you have a what? Problem, right. And guess, guess what, it's not just you're, you're marrying someone else's story, you're marrying their family's story. <laughs> and you laugh because you know the challenges. A marriage can't stand if two people have their own stories but they haven't become, become one. This is so true in church as well. We have to move from observation, standing back, to ownership. That's number one. Here's the second shift. It just keeps getting cooler and cooler. This is one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament, if not Bible. Verse 12, from there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We, notice, okay, the language is going on. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Lydia, I love this. This is the moment that if you n- know about the rest of the new testament there's a there's a letter in the new testament called philippians there's a church in philippi that church started right here in this moment by a woman named lydia and she was a business leader she seemingly managed her home and her business she dealt with very kind of high you know high dollar products you could say about her business she she it appears kind of ran with the affluent. She only took American Express was kind of how she, how she dealt. And yet the Lord was dealing with her. It says she was a worshiper of God, but she didn't know the whole story. And in, roll down, you know, the, the, these guys, you know, they come on down. They're looking for a synagogue. It takes 10 people to constitute a synagogue. They couldn't find 10, so they got in their van and went down by the river. And... Uh, just see if you caught that, right? And, uh, and they go down there and they find these women and it says she's a worshiper of God and they begin to tell her the story, the story about this man Jesus who had been crucified, who, who died and on the third day rose again. And, and claims and promises to come and return to judge the living and the dead and to make all things new. They begin to tell the story. And I would only imagine, tell their story. Paul going, look, I, I never met him, but I was going along the road and a blinding light knocked me off the horse and I couldn't see for days. And, and he's telling his story. And I would imagine Silas is telling his and Luke is telling his. And then it says, in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond Paul's message I love that the Lord moved in her heart she moved from information to intimacy from information facts figures to actually the Lord pressing upon her wooing her pursuing her to a place where she simply just had to say yes And then she began to experience what you and I are made for at our core. You and I are made to know God and to be known by God. We are made to love God and to be loved by God. At our very core of our existence, this is why he created you and me. This is why he said, I knew you when you were knit together in your mother's womb. That I know every day of your life, it's been written in my book of life. I have inventory, every hair on your head means some for some and means very little for others, I know. (laughs) But think about this difference. Two little simple phrases. I know about God. I know God. I know about God is information. I know God. The maker of the heavens and the earth, the living God, the one who knows you inside and out, the one who's gone before you, the one who wants to dwell by his spirit in you, that's the difference. And that's what happened for Lydia. And I wonder if that's happening for you. I wonder if there's this this sense, maybe this nudge, maybe this compulsion, maybe, maybe this kind of inkling that something's starting to change within you. Maybe you're showing a little more interest in biblical things, or you're asking more questions. Maybe you're even agitated somewhat, and I would just wonder and maybe suggest that the Lord is opening your heart as well. He's wanting to shift you from head to heart, from information to intimacy, what we were made for, what we're most going after, even if we go about it in all the wrong ways. That was the second shift When their story becomes your story, you shift not only from observation to ownership, but from information to intimacy. Here's the third one. Once when we were going, Luke writes, to the place of prayer, we were met by, look at this, a female slave who had a spirit, an evil spirit, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her, look at this word, owners. This little girl, we would imagine, little, young, who knows, this girl is the property of some men who are profiteering upon her. She is held hostage in two ways. One, by an evil spirit. Two, by men who consider her property. This, do not be mistaken, is human trafficking. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Isn't it interesting that demons have excellent theology? They know how it works. They're just against how it works. And this girl is repeatedly saying it over and over. She kept this up for many days. Finally, and I love this, Paul became so annoyed That he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. But when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. Somehow Luke kind of got out of this one. I don't know how. And dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Do you see the veneer of acceptability? Do you see how they're trying to sound so upright for the good of the city and society when in actuality, they have a woman held hostage. They are profiteering upon her own demise and they're trying to sound like good, upstanding citizens. Is that not evil? Crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What is the shift here? The shift is from activity to adventure. From activity to adventure. From I go to church and I serve and I do some really good things and, and then I've got my life and I kind of do these kind of, these kind of things. I have my activity, but what we read here, something altogether different, isn't it? It's an adventure. You never know when you follow the Spirit of God what kind of justice, biblical justice, what kind of healing, what kind of wholeness, what kind of breakthrough, what kind of revolution He wants to spread. You never quite know. And as it relates here to this this girl who was a slave, who was being human trafficked, who was oppressed by a spirit set free, I just go, man, that's happening today, isn't it? I have a friend who leads a really large church in another state and they had been going against human trafficking. And at one point years ago, they invested some money to really help uh, women get out of the human trafficking trade, and they lost somehow about, a, if I recall, $60,000. And there were people who were grumbling about it, going, can't we manage our finances better than and, and all that? And it's and, and this whole thing. He gets up before the church, he goes, look, we are a church, and we are storming the gates of hell. And if you think for a second that we're just gonna play patty cake here, we're going up against an evil system, against evil men, and against evil itself. And so if you're worried about $60,000, better, you better take, take notice, because it's gonna cost us a lot more than that. And when I heard him say that, I just thought that's the kind of church I wanna be a part of. Because I believe you and me, we were made for this. It might sound scary, it might feel intimidating, For Luke, I wonder if he signed up for this. I don't think exorcisms, flogging, and imprisonment were a part of his residency program as a physician. And yet I don't think he would have written the gospel according to Luke. I don't think he would have written the the, the early Acts of the apostles, the book of Acts, if he had not had these kinds of experiences. From ownership, to intimacy, to now adventure. I believe it's what you and I are made for. I believe that you, like me, you sit back on occasion and just go, I know I go to church, I kinda do this, I do that, I have my quiet time, I serve here and I do this, but isn't there something more? And I believe there was, and I believe you and I, we were made for more. Like William A. Shedd said, "If, if you wanna live safe, look, you want to keep your ship in the harbor because it's safe? Fine, but ships were not made for the harbor. They were made for the high seas. And I believe that's true of you and me. And I believe that God is calling us to a revolution. And he wants us to go, this is not for the professionals and the amateurs. This is for all of us here and now to move us from activity to adventure. Here's the last one. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So it sounds like Mitch and the band kind of showed up. Had some haze and some lights. No, actually, notice, I think it's important. There was no worship leader. Worship can take any form or shape, but look at what comes next from their worship and their prayer, an earthquake (laughs) suddenly. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He had heard the singing, he had heard the praying, and now he's experiencing the rumble of the earthquake. So what falls out of his mouth? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. No hoops to go through, no, no exam that you have to take, just believe and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, get this, and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is so beautiful, you guys. It's so beautiful. Paul, Luke, Silas, these guys, they're on a different continent. Everything is different and foreign here. They can't even find 10 people to form a synagogue, a church for them. And now here they are in a jailer's home. A jailer who just, let me tell you, he didn't get into this position because he was Mr. Rogers. He got into this position because he was a beast. And he wasn't just there to receive these flogged prisoners. I guarantee you, he he brought his own punishment, his own affliction upon him. But there he is, taking a washcloth and dabbing their wounds, from which he most certainly inflicted himself as well. And there he is, bringing them into his home And for them to enter into that home, I guarantee you there were so many offensive things to them. Idols and pagans and all sorts of things. Everything was so unfamiliar to them, but in that moment and in that shift and by the power of God, foreigners became family. Jailers and prisoners became family. Philippians and Judeans became family and seemingly nothing else mattered. They truly became a we. This is how revolutions occur. And this is what needs to happen more and more in our lives. I'll tell you the tiniest example I've shared with you about our A2 community. Call it the buoy. We've been meeting for five years, and I told you a couple of weeks ago about how it all started. How we, I said, uh, began watching in the basement Royals watch parties in 2014 and 2015, and how we really, this whole thing kind of grew and blew, and the whole thing. And the next thing you know, we started, started meeting. Now, let me expand that a little bit for you. I wasn't a part of those watch parties. Actually, I had a couple of, it's not even our neighborhood. And I might as well tell you, I don't lead it. Someone else leads it. But I was invited into it. Had friends in that neighborhood, but it wasn't my neighborhood. I heard about their friends, but I didn't. they weren't my friends. They were a totally different neighborhood. And, and you know, like we were two minutes away by, by car, but really? It felt like really far away. I mean, they had a pool in their neighborhood. We did not. That really bummed us out, right? They were just... Names of people, they felt, and if you will, they felt foreign to us. That wasn't our neighborhood. Why did I tell you the story to say, this happened for us and we did this and we did that? Because we were invited in. We said yes. We stepped into that community pretty early on. And then their story became our story. We moved from observation about what was going on just a neighborhood over to ownership. We moved from information about you know the various folks to intimacy. These are some of our closest, dearest friends. We moved from church activity to the sense of adventure for our neighborhood and beyond. And I know it sounds silly, but what seemed foreign—people we didn't know—they truly are family. We're baptizing our kids in backyard pools now. Trying to—it's messy. It, none of it's easy. But I don't know what I would do without this community in my life. And I know for you and for me, it's so easy to stand back and go, well that's their story, or they'll they'll do that, that's fine, I'm just gonna show up, don't do that, you're missing out, don't live the unsatisfying life of settling for something far less than what God has made you for. So where are you just in observation mode? Where is it just for you, information? It's here, but it's not here. Where is it just activity, and you're busying yourself to death, but taking no joy in life in it? And who maybe are you holding at arm's length distance? It feels foreign to you, but you're missing out on family. This is why we want to invite you into the A2 community to join the revolution. And there's one last invitation, which is there can be no revolution like this. There can be no new map like that unless there is first a revolution here. When their faith becomes your faith. And that happens for each and every one of us in a different way, but it always happens this way. When the Lord opens your heart like he did for Lydia, like he did for Luke, like he did for Paul, he did for Barnabas, like he did for the servant girl, like he did for the jailer, like he did for both of Lydia and the jailer's households. It's going to look different for every single one, but the Lord will always move. He is always pursuing you. He's always going after you. For for me, I was five years old, and my dad just said, Danny, I know that You're asking questions, I can see things in you and I wonder if you would want to invite Jesus in your heart. I don't remember much about being five. I remember this, being in my parents' bedroom, kneeling beside their bed, my father right beside me, leading me in a prayer that simply said, I say yes to you, Jesus, I invite you in my heart. In middle school, I'm sitting out on a rock up in the, in the mountains and I'm looking up at the sky and I just say, God, if you are real, I wanna be real to you. And in that moment, I began to read the scriptures differently, I began to pray and I would say their story, namely my parents' story, became my own story. I have friends that have had the most intimate walk with God. And with the Spirit of God. And so many times I go, well, I can't have that. That that guy's got supernatural mojo going on, and I can't relate to that. And yet, time after time, the Spirit of God has come upon me because he wants to move me like he wants to move you from observation to ownership, from information to intimacy, from activity to adventure, to being a part of the family of God. If you want to join the family of God, it just means you say yes. You move from them to us, from there to we. If you're here in the Lonexa campus, you can just go to the sides of the room. There's folks that would love to pray for you. You just All you have to say is, I want to join the family of God. The Speedway campus is the same. Just go to the side of the room and say, I want to join the family of God. If you're online experiencing this, just throw it up on the chat. I want to join the family of God and people will come alongside you and help you say yes. You're made for it. You're worth it. He loves you and longs to be loved by you. And so, Jesus, we just say in this moment, as we lead into worship, we just pray for those right now that the Lord is preparing their hearts, that you right now, you are opening, pursuing, wooing nudging beckoning calling God give us humility give us courage to say I'm ready to jettison the old I'm ready to leave the harbor you've made me for the high seas and you've made me for you oh God so I say yes in the name of the Father in the name of the Son and in the Holy Spirit we pray amen